Good morning, Aotearoa. This is Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Uh, your Thursday morning and the last day of the Cricket World Cup as far as New Zealand and the Black Caps are concerned. A bridge too far. The Indians in Mumbai uh, last night started around 9.30. India won the toss and elected to bat, uh, and bat they did. 397 for four is what they scored. Rohit Sharma, 47 off 29 at the top. He just went bang. Uh, then Shuman Gill, he actually carried his bat, but only for 80 runs. He did only faced 66 balls in the entire innings, but he was there the whole time because Virat Kohli, had 117 off 113. Shari's ear had 105 off 70. And Kale Rahul, who uh, had a brilliant performance behind the stumps as well, hit 39 from 20. Uh, so the Indians went bang. And I think between them, they scored something like uh, 19 sixes in their innings. So uh, they definitely went hard and uh, put on a great show. And it made it difficult for the New Zealand bowlers. Uh, the best of them, believe it or not, was Trent South- uh, was Trent Southey, Tim Southey, with three wickets for 100 runs from his 10. So he was going for 10 and over, but he did take three wickets. Trent Bolt took one for 86 from his 10. Mitch Santner, uh, in comparison, very economical, 51 off his 10. No wickets, though. And then Lockie Ferguson, Rachin Ravindra, and Glenn Phillips were all used to uh, to some variation or other. But uh, you couldn't, couldn't get enough Indian wickets to slow the runs. And then when India uh, did... Put, uh, when New Zealand did bow, uh, bat, the Indian bowling put us under pressure from the get-go. Dev Conway, 13. Rachin, 13. Kane Williamson, 69. Uh, Tom Latham, a duck. Uh, but the big hitter, Daryl Mitchell, 134 from 119. 9-4, sixes. Glenn Phillips with 41, as well with the two New Zealand top scorers. Everyone else just in single figures. And that is our World Cup done, Kempe. Uh, yeah, just a bridge too far, eh? Losing by 70 runs eventually. Yeah, morning to Rick, morning to Rob Dog. Um, it was, it was. Geez, uh, I got excited when I woke up this morning and I heard the score and I thought, ooh, they've got a chance here. You know, you, you never, you never take them out, um, out of the picture. But in the end, uh, yeah, how good was Muhammad Shami? You know, 57. Uh, seven for 57, the bowling and the, the accolades, apparently MVP uh, performance last night um, from the Indians. We spoke about it, Rick. We said whoever bats first is going to put the other team under pressure. I heard a comment um, from from uh, Daniel McCarty and them this morning just saying that, uh, you know, the players that were out there were starting to look a little bit tired, and we spoke about that. I think if fatigue got them a little bit in the back end of that game, and... Uh, when I woke up, they still had uh, plenty of wickets in hand, but they crumbled pretty quickly towards the end when that run rate started to creep up towards four or ball. Um, but what a fantastic uh, World Cup by the, the Kiwis up against the Indians. What's that, 10 in a row? Looked like dead set world champions already. Um, South Africa or Aussie, whoever gets through the next game, you're going to find it tough to beat that team. They will. They will. They've got it all to do. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it has a feeling. You know, we talked yesterday a lot about pressure and what pressure can do to teams. I don't. I think the Indians uh, have used the pressure almost like a fuel. It, ha- it doesn't seem to have weighed on them. It's actually just spurred them on. Well, Diwali's over there at the moment. And, you know, there's a lot of fans it's around. It's said Dooley, mate. Dooley's how you pronounce it. Oh, is it? Dooley's <laughs> on over there at the moment. And... <laughs> 
And it's, um, look, it, it's perfect setup for them, isn't it? You know, I, I know it came out yesterday about changing the pitch out without anyone knowing under the rules, and there's a little bit of cloak, cloak and dagger stuff, but just that performance from the Indians, they were the, the team to beat. Um, the toss, I, I stayed up and watched that last night because I was hoping that we'd win the toss and go in and bat, uh, but it wasn't to be, and then, you know, it's, it's panned out how... It, how everyone thought it would pan out exactly if the Indians got in there and bat, and of course uh, Muhammad Shami with his with his bowling, uh, he's had an absolute World Cup and a half, isn't he? Um, Shami picking up the the best player today, uh, and I, I got to say that the Black Caps they they should be very proud of the way that they performed at the World Cup. Um, you know, I think I think that performance, like when that run rate was set uh, close to 400, I thought, okay. But uh, they went out there, they attacked the ball, they left nothing there, and in the end, it's just, you know, the Indian team's just too good at the moment. Yep, Indian team, a very good team, and uh, scoring plenty of runs as well. And I'll tell you, the other thing, uh, we, and we will hopefully have a black cap out of India uh, at some point during the show. They've just got a lot of commitments to get to first, but hoping around 7.30 we will have somebody out of the team on the show. Uh, Mitchell Stark, I brought it up yesterday, um, you know, he, he had said that we need uh, just to go one ball for the uh, ODIs because two, the ball wasn't, uh, was staying too hard and was too much in favour of the batsman. Uh, but then, man, I tell you what, Mohamed Shami, 7 for 57 from 9.5. Uh, Mitchell Stark might just want to have a look at his form. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. When, the, when you're talking of, about the, the stati- statistics, Rick, they don't lie. Like seven for fifty-seven is pretty outstanding bowling, up against uh, what they're saying. Like the, the the batting the batting chat has been around for a while now. That has become an, you know a game where I guess the balls have been been seen when they're coming down like balloons. You know what I mean? And the bats have been put in place where they just bash them around. Uh, the and the amount of fours and sixes that are going on on these limited over, overs games. It, it's what the people want to see. They don't want to see boring cricket. You know, they want to see people smashing balls out of the park. We see that in the um, the, the Indian pr- uh, Premier League. So, you know, I think the, the way that Muhammad Shami's gone around it has just been, well, I like to bowl and I like to get blokes out. And that's what cricket is, you know. Like, you're up... And it's it's like any any sport when you're up against a, uh, um, a, an opponent, opponent, you want to get the better of them. And tonight, Shami got the better of the, the Black Caps. Yeah, he did. I tell you what, he's taken some wickets in this tournament. Against New Zealand in the group stages, 5 for 54. Against England, five, uh, 4 for 22. Against Sri Lanka, 5 for 18. Against South Africa, 2 for 18. In fact, uh, the only team he hasn't taken a wicket against, would you believe it, is the Netherlands. So uh, there you go. That's, that's how things shake out. But, yeah, Shami having a fantastic uh, World Cup uh, and an outstanding player as well. And, you know, I mean, Mike has texted us through on double eight double three, we'd love to hear your thoughts. But Mike said, "Guys, we lost the game when India were allowed to choose their pitch, and uh, nails in the coffin was when we lost the toss." Well, yeah, I think it's more the second one to be honest, because I think whoever batted first was going to cause the other team problems, Mike. But yeah, and isn't that part of hosting, Kempe? Part of if you're the host of the World Cup or you, you're the host of anything, generally conditions tend to go your way. Well, and and you've got to be smart enough too. Like I've told that story about North Harbour Stadium, the hundredth game that the Kiwis played the Kangaroos, um, and we shortened up the, the dead ball lines. 
and the and the pitch by a metre. It made a hell of a difference in the in the game when you had the likes of Lockyer and and Co running around who'd like to play an expansive game. So. I, look, I take nothing away from India by using the uh, the everything, the elements and everything at their disposal to to, to get the the pitch that they wanted. Um, that's what happens. That's why they call it home ground advantage. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. Need a new mobile plan? Visit Kogan Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring. Flight Centre's Big Red Sale is on now with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. Book now to save. Big, let's have a look at some sports news headlines. Baba Azam has resigned as Pakistan captain in all three formats following the team's Cricket World Cup flop, uh, but he will continue to play for the national team. This is what he said. Uh, he announced this on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Today I'm stepping down as the captain of Pakistan in all formats. It's a difficult decision, but I feel it's the right time for the call. I'll continue to represent Pakistan as a player in all three formats. He has been the captain since November 2019, but after failing to reach the World Cup semi-finals in India, his position was immediately under threat. Injured South African skipper Temba Bavuma has said he is not 100% and the team will decide later if he is fit enough to play in the World Cup semi-final against Australia. Bavuma, an opening batsman, struggled with his hamstring in the win over Afghanistan and remains a doubt for the second semi-final in Kolkata. South Africa's history is littered with World Cup knockout flops, including four semi-final losses and two quarter-final losses. They have never made a final. Bavuma, 33, strained that hamstring during the win over Afghanistan and hobbled well batting for his 23 runs. Former UFC fighter Francis Ngannou has been ranked number 10 in the heavyweight division by the WBC following a split decision loss to champion Tyson Fury in his professional boxing debut last month. Ngannou, 37, faced Fury in a non-title bout in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia in October and narrowly lost after scoring a third-round knockdown against the undefeated WBC champion. The WBC has taken the rare decision to award a ranking to a boxer with no professional wins at their 2023 convention. Those are your sports news headlines. And uh, we'll do more on that. I, I actually, Kempi, we talked a lot about it yesterday. Um, but interesting to see that Phil War, the rugby boss now of, of Rugby Australia, uh, says the days of throwing blank checks at NRL stars are over. Uh, apparently, uh, there's an unnamed Wallaby great, pretty much guarantee you know who this was, this, this, is, this sounds um, a lot like Phil Kearns, has said that the $4.8 million they gave to Swali on a three-year deal is insane and it would have been better invested keeping 10 young players in rugby. 100%. 110%. That makes sense uh, to, to a, a flailing organisation, the Australian Rugby Union, that can't get enough players playing in what is a private system. You know, I've been through that Australian school system with rugby when I was at Newcastle because the person I stayed with, his sons were going to, they call it Joey's down in, down in Sydney. Um, a number of very good Australian players have come out of that school. And uh, rugby union has been played, you know, through the private schools, not the public sector. Unlike rugby league, Rick, which is um, the likes of Kibra High, Corumban, you go out the west, uh, Sydney, where they've got a number of high schools, they have a massive Australian schoolboy tournament for rugby league, which then filters through to the lo- lower grades of Jersey Flags, the Harold Matthews, and and uh, and so on. Their pathways, 
through the public system is way, way more significant than the Australian Rugby Union's private school um, sector. What what he says about the the $4 million that has been spent on uh, Joseph Swiley is actually, in my uh, in my mind, just a, a, a again, a a privileged position that they put themselves in when they don't actually know what they're doing. They should be, and, and it makes total sense, um, spending that money on pathways and, and 10 players. For that type of money, you can create competitions. And I mean like competitions in each state. You'd imagine creating a schoolboy competition with a prize at the end of it using that $4 million. You'd pay for schools in the public sector to actually get the tournaments, be accommodated, play play a week of football like they do at the Australian Rugby League schools tournaments, and then start picking pathways for Australian schoolboys to come down here and play in New Zealand. It, and it, it, it sort of it's mind-boggling to think that they can just go and buy a team of footballers to win something. Yeah, it is, especially, I mean, we've talked about it before, but uh, the positions, the tar- I mean, they're targeting blokes who can attract Powerade uh, commercial deals and sell jerseys rather than guys that can actually get wins on the field because, you know, it's Wally, a great player, but, I mean, you've got to go forward, you've got to, you've got to win the forward battle before you can get, uh, feed it to the backs, right? Well, it's not only that. What you also got to look at is, um, what about Eddie Jones? So here's a guy that, that's, you know, been let, let go by England. He's picked up a paycheck on the way because he's still contracted there. He's been let go by Australia. You know, swore black and blue that he's going to be there. Um, he's gone over. Not only that, he, he, he has to be paid out of that con- contract, but he's just he's siphoned out another $4 million to one player. You know, it's like, it's like, a, it's like someone's gone in. It's a bag of money, and someone's gone in with a... a, a, a pair of scissors and they've chopped the bottom of the bag off and it's just leaked out millions of dollars you know they need to stop they need to stop the leaching and, and like that that in, a, in the context leaching um and and start to put smart people in place to build pathways which then builds a future yeah well i mean and it feels like uh what well, sounds like that they've got uh, the right man in charge now, Phil Warry, but he's got a bit of work to do to repair a, a lot of damage that's been done over the last few years. Um, so we'll have to uh, hurry up and wait on that one and see how the Aussies recover from it. How's, how's this too, mate? I mean, we talked a bit about uh, India beating New Zealand at the semi-final of the Cricket World Cup. But one thing that has kind of gone under the radar, and this is... Uh, this is quite funny that this has gone under the radar because he's such a big name and it is such a big achievement. But with Mohammed uh, Shami taking seven for 57, um, uh, he's been given the player of the match, right? He's been given the player of the match. But during this match, during the Indian innings, Virat Kohli hit his 50th hundred in one-day internationals, which gives him the world record, takes him past the Indian great Sachin Tendulkar, who had the record of 49, who was actually in the stadium to watch it happen. So uh, Virat Kohli, a fantastic achievement from him, kind of getting lost uh, in the wake of that big Indian win. Yes, you're dead right. And I think there's something like 600 runs at a, at a World Cup too, um, to add to that, that title. Uh, look, they've got, they've got strike across the board, and Kohli and, and uh, Muhammad. 
uh, Shami, both in, with bat and ball, have just been absolutely devastating for India. Um, we talked a little bit about that yesterday with uh, Kohli and, and his bat, when, and we're expecting uh, Ravindra to, to, to get in there. Um, Kane Williamson, Daryl Mitchell went out there and did, did the number for us, um, but just not enough in the end. Uh, Kohli, would, would he be... I don't know, I'm throwing this out there. Rob, you probably know better than I do with a cricket. Would he be the best player in the world? Not far from it. There you go. Yep, who, would you, who else would you throw in there? Glenn Phillips. Really? There you go. Is he your uncle? No, I'm slightly kidding, but oh, he's nice. an absolute legend in New Zealand cricket. <laughs> I thought you were going to say George Worker for a minute. Oh, there yeah, that's go. my other answer. Yeah, he, that's, that's the other answer. I was just having a look. I mean, he has scored an absolute uh, bucket load of runs at this World Cup. Here are his scores at the World Cup. 85 against the Aussies, 55 not out against Afghanistan, 16 against Pakistan, 103 not out against Bangladesh, 95 against New Zealand in the group stages. He uh, didn't play against England. Then 88 against Sri Lanka, 101 not out against South Africa, 51 against the Netherlands and 117 today. Yeah, you'd, you'd, mate, you'd be sitting out there like that. Though that type of player, when you've when you've got your team out there and he's at the crease, are all wishing and hoping that the ball's going to get through and hit those wickets. You know well, ex- it, exactly the, because he's he's such a dangerous player and in his own conditions and uh, you know with the crowd behind him as well. I mean, he's he's practically a god in India. It's just uh, it's amazing. Seven hundred and eleven runs for the tournament. And, and and the other thing with that, Rick, is that the the amount of confidence that he gives his teammates, both, but I'm not just saying both with the bat, but also with the ball to go out there and and uh, and play as well as he does. It, it must be just so refreshing when you you know that he steps up and he's going to actually get you the runs that you need and give you the confidence that you need to go into those games. Hence, hence the the reason why they've won ten on the ten on the trot. Ten on the trot, and I tell you, actually, he did play against England, but he got a duck. So that's his one failure at the World Cup as he got a duck against England. So uh, it's still uh, pretty damn good if you consider that. And uh, he has an average at this World Cup, if I'm just working this out, of 101.5. It's his yeah, average good. at the World Cup over 10 innings. Uh, right, Coley, absolute superstar of the game. It is uh, 18 away from seven here on Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. When we come back, it's Love Racing. On SENZ. Watch out the leader from Churchillian. Live drama still a length away. Now she's coming. Live drama after watch out. And here comes Fashion Shoot out of the clouds. Live drama the leader. Fashion Shoot. She's flying. Live drama holding. But it's Fashion Shoot for the Breeders. Fashion Shoot. What an explosive win. Beat yeah, it's 6.47. You call us 0800 158 11 or on a temper bed post text machine. It's... Uh... One of those days where the boys in the kitchen and Rick Dog wish that they listened to one Tony Kemp yesterday about uh, half an hour before that race took off because I gave him a tip and that tip came in and paid tens and threes in fashion shoot and what a hell of a ride that was. The Rick and Park crowd getting all too used to the masterful tactics of Warren Kennedy, the premiership leading hoop. Produced another black type winning ride and got in fashion shoot the victory in the Group 3 Windsor Park Stud Canterbury Breeders State. It's over 1,400 metres. He arrived back in Christchurch on Wednesday, fresh off a successful first day, Warren, in the New Zealand Cup Carnival when he took out the Group 1 New Zealand 2000 Guineas over 1,600 on Crosetti and the listed Metropolitan Handicap over 2,600 on Nestig. And it didn't take him long to add his black 
tight haul. Navigating an awkward draw of 13. Aboard the Mark Walker and Sam Burgess in train Fashion Street, Kennedy took the patient approach in setting the mare at the tail of the field behind a hot tempo set by Gold, Goldie's Chance. He still had the full 16-horse field before him nearing the 400 metres where race favourite watchout looked ominous, but the six-year-old strong turn of foot shone in the closing stages where she burst into the clear, wearing down a game-live drama to score by a neck. And it was an absolute fantastic ride. One of the, one of the reasons I liked um, Fashion Shoot, well, one, because Kennedy's on absolute fire, Warren Kennedy and the big races, um, but they had the blinkers on as well. And uh, Belle Clear, I think, in the same race last year, won it from, I think it won it from 14. So I wasn't too worried about that draw, Rick. And uh, to see Warren Kennedy, the way that he came around, the patience that he had uh, in riding fashion shoot to get that, uh, that horse up. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one group that should have been listening to that tip. That's probably the Punters Club. Uh, they would have uh, made plenty on that. But also, the great man from Taranaki had another good day yesterday, and that was my mate Robbie Patterson. Puntura lifting here, a length to times ticking, it's business time. Puntura really finding some here in the Copelands. Leads by three lengths from its business time and time's ticking. Puntura, two in front here, and Puntura won the Copelands. Puntura by a length and a half, beat its business time. Yeah, that was really impressive. Uh, Robbie Patterson and jockey Craig Grills, it was where again at the four, um, where they combined with Puntura to claim the major prize on Wednesday's programme. They've proven to be a formidable pairing in recent seasons and joined forces in the middle of the day of the New Zealand Cup Carnival to claim top honours in the Group 3 Copelands Bakery Miles. And thanks to Copelands, have been a fantastic supporter of the race car down there on Cup Week at Rickenham Park. He's a big horse and it was great to have Craig on him. We get on really well and he's a great mate of mine. He's a champion to me, is what Robbie Patterson said about money um, the girls. But while it wasn't the pre-race plan to go to the front, circumstances dictated Pontura made the running and he reveled in the role to land the biggest prize of his career. I'll never tell Craig what to do apart from telling him to get the first round in when we have a winner. And I actually gave Robbie a text this morning to ask him to come on and uh, I don't think Craig had to get the first one and he probably had to get the tenth one in too because he still hasn't come back to me. But well done to Robbie Patterson and Craig Grills on the win yesterday in the Copeland's Bakery Mile. Rick, it's been, oh, look, down there, um, Rickenham Park on, on Cup Week, uh, we saw at Addington on Tuesday what it looked like. The weather's played its part. Uh, I, I know at the moment that the track is firming up, so if you're looking a Saturday, uh, be very, very careful with what you're looking at. It looks like it'll probably be rock hard if they don't get any rain. They'll probably have to water the track a little bit. Um, but uh, it's it's going pretty well for everyone down there at the moment. And, and the Tangerine Army, they had a field day yesterday, um, but another Taranaki boy, Robbie Patterson, gets them home in the big one. Um, so I'm looking forward to Saturday. Plenty of racing coming up. We've got racing uh, tomorrow at Trentham and then on Saturday at Tauranga and, of course, at Rickenham Park. But uh, you just can grab your mates and get on course, visit dot. Uh, visit events.loveracing.nz to find a race day near you. Nice work, Kemper. Yeah, it was a good tip yesterday. Uh, but unfortunately, one of your earlier tips in the week, on Tuesday, a horse called Masterly in the first at Addington uh, ate all my money. So I had to stay off, unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately. I don't know where... Mr. O'Connor's tip of Masterly, yes. And I actually did back uh, back that in a, in a little uh, multi, which, uh, yeah, well, it was one of those days again where um, Addington, mate, I think yesterday there was another $40 shot that came in too. 
Um, so there's some big, been some big divvies down down in the the the, uh, the O3 in Otatahi Christchurch for the week. Um, I'm expecting the same to happen on Saturday. Man, some horses are coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, nice. All right, let's talk about that a little bit later on. If you've got a tip for us, double eight, double three for Kempi's kicker. We'll talk more about that shortly. Uh, keep your texts rolling through though. Double eight, double three. We'll be back after this. Hey, White Cuttle. Yeah, coming up a couple of minutes away from 7 o'clock here on Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Uh, what we got coming up? Well, we're going to uh, talk more in depth about the Cricket World Cup semi-final that we have just witnessed overnight. Ronnie here, a former Black Cap, is going to join us after the news, and uh, we are going to discuss that with him and get his insights on it. Also, the All Whites are in camp at the moment. They play Greece and the Republic of Ireland over the next week. We're going to uh, cross to Greece and uh, hopefully catch up with Clayton Lewis after eight and get his take on uh, the All White camp and uh, the games that they have coming up, some big games coming up for them, actually. And his move as well out of the Phoenix and over to MacArthur in the A-League. Plus, Josh Brody. We uh, couldn't quite meet up with him yesterday. We're going to do it today. Former Firebirds batsman uh, who is run, uh, doing Ironmans. I was going to say running Ironmans, but you cycle and swim and run Ironmans. He's doing Ironmans. He did a half Ironman in Melbourne. He's doing a half Ironman in Topo, And then he's doing the full Ironman in Topo as well. And he's doing it all for asthma. So we'll catch up with Josh Brody before 9 o'clock today as well, and plenty more coming your way uh, on that front. And uh, uh, looking forward to actually to catching up with Paul Mawadi as well, Kempi, because there should be some money to be made in Christchurch today, and we'll see if uh, Mawadi can stop anything uh, before we jump on it. And uh, that, that, so might maybe just, just, just hold off. So see what, see what Mawadi's going to put the anchor on. Uh, it's coming up to 7 o'clock. Here is Araha now with news for Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. Flicking on the onside. He's got a gap to Here's Virat Kohli. He should get back for two. He turns to Virat. The arms are in the air. There's the leap and fist pump. And he's on his knees. Virat Kohli gets one day international number 50. In a World Cup semi-final, he's 100 from 106 deliveries. The helmet's off. It's a wave to the crowd. Sally from over the wicket. Takes the pace off and he casually nudges it up towards mid-on and says, I'll have 100, thank you very much. Sire, what a knock. 100 off just 67 balls. Mitchell will turn it into the onside and gather a comfortable run and bring up a quite sensational 100. Round of applause from Grant Elliott next to me. And understandably so, Daryl Mitchell has mixed power and precision to reach triple figures of just 85 balls. Bravo, Daryl Mitchell. What a knock. Mitchell hits high through four square leg. I think he's going to be caught in the deep. And guess what? Ravi Jadeja. One, two, three. And Mohamed Shami has another five wicket haul. 327 for nine. Ferguson gets it outside edge. Shami has seven. Count the ball. Seven wickets for the right arm paceman. Who has been on a whole different level to any other player with the ball at this World Cup.
Kiara, good morning. It is seven o'clock, just gone four past seven, in fact, here on Izzy and Kempi for breakfast on SCNZ. Welcome in. If you've just joined us, it is Tradies Hour with night and day. Start your morning with a hell of a coffee from just $4.50 at your local night and day. And uh, we'll be uh, taking your text calls right throughout the hour. Uh, but tell you, bloke who didn't need any uh, coffees this morning uh, was Muhammad Shami. Seven for 57 of 9.5 overs he took over in Mumbai against the Black Caps as India beat the Black Caps in the World Cup semi-final by 70 runs. India setting New Zealand 398 to win and New Zealand falling 70 runs short despite the best efforts of Daryl Mitchell who scored the Biggest century of the day, 134 of 119 balls, nine fours and seven sixes. Fantastic knock from him, just not quite enough. And joining us to talk about that is former Black Cap Ronnie here. Morning, Ronnie, how are you? Morning, Ricardo, how are you going? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so much was on the toss in this game, wasn't it? And uh, India got the toss one and, and put the pressure on. Yeah, I think it was going to be crucial. Um, it was the third game on that wicket. Um, so, yeah, you're making use of those conditions early on and um, under the sun. Um, and, yeah, they put a pretty compelling total uh, together through uh, Coley and a few others. Now, there was a bit made uh, of, of India getting to, you know, sort of dictate to the groundskeeper uh, that, you know, what they wanted from the pitch and things. I don't have too much of a problem with it. I mean, you know, if you if you host a Cricket World Cup uh, or if you host any World Cup, conditions are always going to be in the favour of the home side. What did you make of it? Uh, I guess, I mean, there's no real overlying issue. I just guess who, who who's managing the tournament, I, I guess, is more the question. If it's an ICC event, then maybe they should be the ones that decide what sort of pitches you play on. And, um, yeah, I guess that, that's all there is to it. I mean... Uh, if they say you're playing on pitch five, then I guess it's pitch five. And if, if the the home team wants to get involved and try and and I guess manipulate the situation and and the ICC allow it, then then I guess it's it's okay. But yeah, I guess ultimately, who's running the tournament? Hey, Ronnie, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, they've taken the home ground advantage to another level, haven't they? The Indians um, nine in a row got the tenth this morning. But do you think the selections um, were right? Was there any that you would have changed? Morning, Tony. Um, I'm unsure if there was any other players they could have used on the bench. They sort of went with the with the tried and true that they had been running with. Um, I think obviously throughout the tournament, um, having someone like Matt, Matt Henry get injured didn't didn't overly help things. He's he's been a crucial white ball bowler for the Black Caps over the last cycle, I guess, for the uh, the last four years since the last World Cup. So him him going down injured wasn't wasn't overly helpful. And then bringing Tim Salvi and he actually bowled quite well in the last few games, I think. But um, I think what it does sort of show us is that maybe we need to find some, some I guess, more talent or younger players to, to sort of blood and give experience between this and the next World Cup. There was, of course, a bloke who didn't uh, bowl at all, and that is Daryl Mitchell. We've seen him being used less and less with the ball. I did wonder whether or not uh, he might get given an opportunity. Or, or the other one, and I, and I mentioned this yesterday, actually, uh, uh, when we were talking to Ross Taylor, was uh, Kyle Jamison, just because you know he, he has a little bit of that X factor, six foot eight. The, you know, even if the pitch isn't doing much, uh, he gets the ball to come off it at a different angle. Yeah, good point. Um, I think yeah, Kyle maybe would have been more of an outside 
an outside chance just because he hasn't played any of the games before that. To so, so him in the semi-final could have been uh, would have been uh, I guess in the in the pressure cooker without having had any cricket um, in India. Um, he's been playing domestic cricket, but I guess it's not the semi-final. It's not under the the pressure of the the this crowd and things like that. And then yeah, Daryl Mitchell. I guess they could have thrown him a, and a couple of overs or two and maybe used his variation in terms of slower balls and cutters and things to. To be able to see if if he made an impact or any difference, but I think yeah he bowled he bowled a lot less than I guess anticipated this tournament that's for sure. Ronnie, how, how tough is it? You know, like we were listening to the commentary this morning and um, we talked about it yesterday. How important it is to get in there and bat. You know, with the with the way that the weather is, um, how hot it is, the fatigue factor. But how tough is it for the for the cricketers up there when you when you're coming in after having to bowl? and then trying to keep the momentum going with the bat? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough when you're chasing 400 at any time, let alone a World Cup semi-final. So I guess they're under sort of scoreboard pressure from the start um, to, try and, to, to try and get a run rate going and to lose those um, early wickets for, with guys that have been scoring runs like Ratchin and um, Conway's been uh, relatively quiet this, this tournament other than that one knock against England. So they were sort of banking on those guys getting the black caps off to, to a quick start um, but I think they do back their back end in terms of pressure they, they just try and absorb that pressure They're guys like Daryl Mitchell and um, Glenn Phillips and even Mark Chapman who's, who's, who's played a couple of crucial knocks this, this tournament so yeah it's tough especially when you're chasing 400 and I think you've just outlined it at the start you know the toss was crucial you know like if they had managed to win the toss and put together 350 plus then they could have put, maybe put some scoreboard pressure on but I think they saw in that pool game that even 350 and 300 plus is, is not enough against the batting lineup like the Indians. It's uh, it's interesting, mate. I don't know uh, how much the conditions change from the start of the first innings to the start of the second innings, but you know, I just look at the first fall or wicket uh, around the eighth over for India. They were one for seventy-one when Rohit Sharma went. Uh, but New Zealand, we really struggled at the top of the uh, top of the order. Around the same time, we were two for thirty-nine, and uh, both openers have been knocked off. Uh, was that conditions, or was that just Sharma um, having an absolute blinder? Probably more the second point. I think he's had a really good tournament. Um, and, yeah, I think that just shows you that, you know, even in conditions like that, you can find a way to, to take wickets. Um, he's a very skillful bowler. And, um, yeah, he's, he's taken a lot of wickets this tournament. So um, I think, yeah, it's just about trying to find ways to take wickets. And, unfortunately, we, we weren't able to do that up front with, uh, with Saudi Bold and a mixture of Ferguson and the spinners. Um, so, yeah, I think... The, the crux of it was trying to take regular wickets um, against that batting lineup to be able to uh, to, to stem the, the run rate, I guess. Yeah, I mean, a difficult situation, difficult conditions, um, but these guys are professional players, right? And I, and I look at uh, the lower part of that order, and we, we bat deep, you know, we got a long, uh, we don't have a long tail. We've got guys uh, right down to number nine who can, who can score runs, uh, but when you consider that we had what? Um, I think five five players uh, only make single digits on what was uh, obviously a, a pretty good pitch to bat on. Uh, it was is that just mental? Do you think? Oh, I think it's difficult when you probably come in and you're chasing eight to ten and over. Um, and then when I flicked it on this morning to check it, there was something like fourteen and over. So you know you are having a look for boundaries pretty much every other ball, and that can become difficult. Um, I guess in the 2020, you know, with the with the amount of overs that you play, you know, you can do that for maybe four or five overs. But if you have to do that for for 10 plus overs, 
Um, when I turned it on, it was like a, a hundred off thirty or something that was needed. So, you know, it's relatively difficult to walk in and, and try and manufacture from the start a, a strike rate and a run rate to be able to compete with that. So, I think a lot of the damage had to be done up front and get off to a, a really good start and then get ahead of the rate in this occasion. Um, but yeah, they weren't they weren't able to do that. Um, they weren't able to do that against Indian bowlers. The, do, do they do they take this tournament as a as a a good tournament? The uh, the Black Caps, Ronnie. You know, like the, the last time they played India in this um, format in this semi final, they got the win. But losing to them and not making the the big show, we, which we thought they they possibly could do, um, do they still come away with it, calling it a success? Yeah, really good question. Actually, I think. Um, I think they're probably the fourth best team if you think if you think if you take it outside the the semi final lens and, and just this one game. I think if you look at it, they probably were the fourth best team. Um, they lost to South Africa in the in the group stage, lost to Australia, and they lost to India with the, the two the three teams ahead of them in there. And then I was really worried about the the middle of the tournament in terms of that streak of games that they had. They had a, they had India, which they they were competitive but ultimately lost. They had Australia again. They were competitive and only, and only lost by a few runs. They they had their only blowout against Australia against South Africa, and then they lost to Pakistan. So that four game stretch I was really worried about, but they were relatively competitive across all those games. Um, so I think when you look at it like that, they've they've come up against. Um, probably, yeah, the best team, 10 games in a row, um, and then probably ultimately are going to win the, the tournament uh, from what I can see, um, unless ourselves, South Africa and Australia um, play very, very well and India have a poor game. Um, so I think the Black Cats will look at it as, as a... I don't think they'll be... I think they'll be disappointed by not making the final, but I don't think they'll see the tournament as a disappointment um, as a whole. Um, but I think it's, it's definitely... Um, again, taking the the semi final and the World Cup out of, I think it might be the end of the cycle for some of the some of the guys, um, and that's not that's not based on performance or anything. It's just based on age. You can see what happened between this uh, semi final and last semi final. Guys like De Grandome, guys like Guptul, guys like Taylor. Um, they, they they just they just they obviously between this the semi final and last semi final have have moved on, and I think the the natural course would probably be the same for some of those players. Yeah, well, I'd probably say that um, Southie, Bolt and, and, and Williamson are the obvious ones that are probably in that camp. Uh, but, uh, Ronnie, how do you think yeah, New Zealand, the Black Caps, are placed um, in terms of the way that this side is evolving? Yeah, and that's, that's the, I guess that's the thing for the next few years. I mean, Gareth has got another two years, which means he ultimately goes halfway through the next cycle in terms of one-day World Cups. But... I think the landscape itself in terms of where the Black Cats fit in and, and how much one-day cricket they play in the next little while will be interesting. There's a lot of chatter around the World Cup and, and the one-day World Cup and one-day format in general in terms of how much cricket there needs to be played or if there's going to be World Cups or if it's a dying format. Um, so that remains to be seen in the next four years in, in terms of um, how many games they played. I think there was some stats going around that um, there wasn't a lot of uh, one-day cricket in, in general played between England uh, in 2019 and this World Cup. So if it's on the decline, then it might not take as much importance in terms of games in between and, and those sort of series between two countries um, that, that happen. And, and will that just become T20 and Test match cricket? But I think for the Black Caps and, and New Zealand cricket especially, I think it's just about trying to find some, some guys um, during that time or some players during that time that can that can offer you different uh, options and different conditions. I think in the Indian conditions, we saw some guys being relatively successful, but during the middle of the tournament against the tougher teams, they didn't perform 
um, maybe as, as the level that they were expecting. Hey, Ronnie, um, it's, there's, there's uh, rain forecast to be coming for the second semi-final. If South Africa walk into the, the next semi uh, and walk straight into the final because of rain, are you going to feel sorry for Australia? Unlikely. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'd feel sorry for them. Um, but in saying that, like, if you think about it all in, 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 in context, I think if the Black Caps had run into South Africa or Australia, they, they potentially would have had a better shot of trying to make it through to the final. But um, obviously, one versus four, we, we had to play the, the hot team. So I think it'd be nice um, to see a relatively competitive game against those two. Um, South Africa have been playing really good cricket, but it sounds like um, their captain's injured. So he might not make the make the starting 11 for the semi, which will be a blow for them. Um, and Australia, like they always do, they come, they've come good at the right time and they're starting to play some, some really good cricket. So um, maybe India, India, Australia in the final, um, which means South Africa lose another semi-final. Um, but yeah, I won't, I won't feel sorry for them, though. No, no well, I was just having a look, actually, at the weather forecast for Kolkata, and it looks like uh, it's going to be overcast, but there's no rain in the forecast at the moment. So... Uh, if if you've got a day-nighter uh, in that part of the world and it's overcast, um, if you're Australia, you kind of you do want to bat first and bowl second, right, to get the best out of guys like Mitchell Stark because that ball could move around a bit later in the in the day. Yeah, that's probably. I mean, I think what it comes down to is like the toss, the same as the the game against India um, overnight. You know, it's just literally the toss of the coin in terms of getting the best conditions and and trying to make the most of those. But um, yeah, uh, under lights, um, the ball can skid on as well, and with that pace on the ball, it might be slightly easier to bat second, um, especially if it doesn't swing. Um, but yeah, going to be. Uh, I think uh, hopefully it'll be somewhat like the game overnight, relatively competitive for some of it, and then um, lots of runs being scored. What do you think? Uh, I, I don't know if the ICC are bothered, as you mentioned, you know about how uh, how big fifty over cricket is on their radar. But how do you make it more competitive and maybe minimise the influence of the toss? I mean, was Martin Crow right all along? And you know, the max cricket we do twenty overs, twenty overs, twenty overs, twenty overs. I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty pretty radical at the time, that's for sure. And I guess the evolution of that idea became twenty twenty. So. Um, he was on to something, that's for sure. But um, I think what's happened is that, you know, they tried different things at different times in terms of, um, you know, uh, introducing new conditions and, and new rules, something like the, the two balls for the, um, for the for the innings. I mean, that that's something that was, I think, introduced because they were having to switch balls out all the time at 34 overs or something like that. But there's a bit of chat going on around again in terms of uh, why why do we need to have two balls for the for the whole um, for the whole innings and whether we switch them out at 30 or at 34 and, and just have one ball to try and introduce reverse swing towards the end of the innings um, and hopefully make it a little bit more equal for the bowlers. But um, I think in India at this stage, and I think um, from from what you can see, is that the pitches are a lot better than what they previously have been uh, with the advent of the IPL and, and the facilities in, in India. The batting, the, the batting and, and the pitches have, have come a long way. Um, and, the, and the bowlers, especially spin bowlers, they haven't had the, the, the type of influence on games um, like they previously had in terms of, you know, low, slow spinners. Um, so... I think the the ICC will need to look at it in terms of how they can do that, but in terms of any ideas on how they can do that, they're all out there. They just have to be interested in listening, I think.
Yeah, well, I mean, from from what I remember, the the whole idea about having the two, uh, two using two balls is because the the white ball got too dark, too dirty, too dark, mm. and it was hard to see in the day night game. So that's why they went with two, so they didn't get as beat up. Yeah, and and uh, I guess when you look at everything in, in context, like that's that's all very well in terms of making the ball whiter, but it hasn't really helped in terms of um, the bowlers getting the natural wear on the ball and and potentially utilising something like uh, um, reverse swing or the ball even going softer because essentially they're only twenty five overs old. You know, like you're running it in the fiftieth over with a ball that's twenty five overs old. It doesn't really make any sense. Um, it hasn't had the natural wear and tear. It hasn't had the softening. You know, if you're running in in the 50th over bowling to a guy who's set and the ball's still 25 overs old, it's still disappearing into the crowd. Whereas if it was 50 overs old and slightly more worn and, and softer, that might get caught on the boundary. So those are the sort of things that used to happen in, in one-day cricket, but it doesn't seem to happen anymore. No, it doesn't. I think that's all because it's all about the sixes, Ronnie. It's all about the sixes. They're not worried all, about the bowlers' figures, eh? No, yeah. no. Um, and you talk about the runs being scored, you know, like someone like Coley scored 700 runs this tournament. I, mean, I haven't scored 700 runs um, in a season um, or my career, and he does it in one tournament, you know. So uh, it just shows you that that's the trend in terms of world-class batters scoring truckloads of runs. And even, you know, even guys like Daryl Mitchell, to be fair, he's had a really good tournament. I think he scored a couple of hundreds. Ratchan Ravindra scored 500 runs, you know. So even 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 our batters have shown that there's, um, you know, capabilities within them. To, to score heavy runs. Uh, now, we've got uh, a text through here, Ronnie, just before we let you go that I'd ask, uh, I'd like to ask you. And it says, uh, uh, Kia ora, boys. I think this is the first World Cup for a while where our batsmen thoroughly outplayed our bowlers. Pretty happy with youth coming through in New Zealand domestic cricket. Canterbury have about four guys under 25 who will play for New Zealand in the next couple of years. Well, yeah, where do you think we're at? Yeah, and I, I kind of mentioned that in terms of the cycle, you know. Um, mm. I... I I think it sort of echoes the last comment around the pitches and the conditions. I think our batters have played really well, um, and the conditions have helped them. Um, I was I was surprised with the with the bowling. We just I, I mean, we just didn't find that penetration that we usually find with guys like uh, Trent Bolt, especially. Um, he really gets the the black ass off to a good start with the ball, um, but that that sort of wasn't there as much as as previously previously has been, but. Yeah, I think it's New Zealand's cricket, New Zealand cricket's responsibility over the next two to three years to try and unearth some some talent and and give some guys some opportunities. Um, they tried something similar with with Finn Allen, who's obviously mid twenties, early twenties, um, and then and then gave up on that idea. And the other guys that are floating around are already thirty, like Will Young's probably knocking on the door of thirty. Um, and the only other two guys that were under um, under I think twenty five or under twenty. Um, 26 or 27 was Glenn Phillips and and Ratchan Ravindra. So there has to be a changing of the guard. I just I just think they need to find some investment and and um, find some develop some players. Yeah, all right, mate. Uh, and I did say that was the last one before we go, but then Rory came through with this blinder, and I actually don't mind this idea. Probably already been mentioned. Uh, it's not a new idea, but if you get to set up a pitch to your team's advantage and you're playing at home, shouldn't you just get rid of the toss and the away team gets to choose? Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. They do that in county cricket in England. Um, I don't think it's to do with um, the, the doctoring of the pitch or the choosing of the pitch, but they definitely have um, tried that in, in county cricket in England. So the away team can turn up and decide what they want to do. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, like I said, who, who who's pulling the chains there? Who's pulling the strings in terms of the ICC or the, the BCCI? And we know how much revenue um, mm. is, you know comes from the BCCI and how much that influences 
the ICC, so maybe that has something to do with it, but, you know, those are all sort of conspiracy theories after the fact, I guess. It'll just give them the full title, mate, the BCC ICC, I think is how, how you yeah. actually say that properly. But, uh, Ronnie, thanks very much for coming on this morning, mate. Appreciate it. Enjoy uh, tomorrow's semi-final as well, eh? No dramas. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Cheers uh, Ronnie Hedder there with us. Need a new mobile plan? Visit Kogan Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring. Let's warm up this morning with a hell of a coffee starting at $4.50 at your local night and day. You can call us anytime 0800 150 or double eight double three. Chris has sent a text through saying, I don't get the pitch nonsense. Honestly, like that pitch had something for everyone. They scored 400, we scored 330 and only one wicket fell to a spinner. It's just the Aussie media that cries all the time. Apparently they play cricket the right way. Maybe we should just have all the World Cups in Australia then. What do you reckon of that, Robbie? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, there's, there, there's, there's someone in it. I get what he's saying about the pitch. I mean, like everyone was saying it's a slow pitch, and then they've gone out and put on 397. So, you know, I, th- I think that's definitely not the biggest reason. No, and then Glenn has actually sent a uh, text through saying, uh, hey, Kempe and Rick, uh, personally, I think it's a load of crap when a World Cup semi-final is decided by the toss of a coin. I believe a sporting contest should be fair. Coin toss is a crap way to lose or win. I would not like to win that way. No proper sports person would. Um, yeah, I mean, there is more to it than just the toss of the coin, but it is overly influential in the outcome of the matches. Isn't it, Robbie? Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think. Um, I mean, all you have to do is look at look at results, and um, you know, batting first was definitely the way to go. Uh, I, th- I think. Yeah, regardless of the pitch, they weren't going to completely switch it into a bowling-friendly wicket. Um, but yeah, it's and India India showed, and they have shown throughout this whole tournament that they're very good at both batting and bowling. And I think uh, our bowling just has been slightly under par. And, um, yeah, it showed that again in the semi. Well, keep your texts rolling through. Double eight, double three is the temper bedpost text machine. And uh, we will continue to read those texts. You can also call us anytime, 0800 150 Right now, though, it's time to catch up with Araha for news with Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. It is 26 away from 8 o'clock here on Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Good morning to you. Kennard's Hire 2 for 1 offer is available. Now let's uh, get into some sports news headlines. And uh, great news for Sam Jones. Young Kiwi golfer has qualified uh, for a full card on the DP World Tour. This is how tough it is to get a card on the DP World Tour, right? So you've got to play a tournament and qualify in the top 100. Then you go to another tournament, you've got to qualify in the top 50. Then you've got to go play another tournament, and he has just done that. They play not four rounds like you would at a regular tournament, but six rounds at that tournament. He shot 68, 69, 70, 65, 68, and 66 to finish 22 under. And in seventh place, Sam Jones gets his DP tour card. Well done, that man, and he will be playing alongside the likes of Foxy next year on the DP World Tour. In fact, I think uh, there might even be uh, some tournaments coming up in Australia in the next couple of weeks that he'll get to use that DP Tour card in as well. So well done to Sam Jones on qualifying for that. Also, the worst-kept secret in boxing is out December the 23rd. Uh, 23rd is going to be a huge night of boxing. They're already calling it the Day of Reckoning. Matchroom Boxing are doing it. It's going to be held in Saudi Arabia uh, and our very own... 
Joseph Parker is on the card. He is the co-main event. He will take on American Deontay Wilder. Also on the bill, Anthony Joshua, another former world champion, takes on the uh, former European champion, uh, Swedish uh, fighter Otto Wallen. Uh, Daniel Dubois, Dynamite Dubois and Gerald Miller, another two big heavyweights go at it as well Junior Farr, another Kiwi fighter is going to fight uh, Frank Sanchez who's a Cuban fighter on that bill and Jay Apatia who is the cruiserweight champion uh, is up uh, and he's he's an Aussie but with Kiwi connections he's also going to be on that bill so that is a massive bill we'll have more on that for you and hopefully we can talk uh, to Dan Raphael from ESPN on all of that for you tomorrow as well so uh, plenty of sports news uh, coming your way and uh, how's this uh, for a great story Chelsea's uh, female manager or women's team manager Emma Hayes has been in charge of that team for 12 years, Kempi. And she's just been poached by the United States women's team. So she's going to, at the end of the season, leave Chelsea and go coach the United States women's team. Her salary, somewhere in the region of $1.6 million US. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So uh, fantastic uh, to see uh, her getting paid because she has been one of the most successful coaches in women's football as well. So there you go. Those are some sports news headlines for you. Uh, stay tuned here for more on that as well. Can I tie a two-for-one offer? Visit your local branch or give them a call today. Uh, we are 23 away from 8 o'clock. Keep your texts coming through as well. Double eight, double three. Boys, Nikki J here. The coin toss didn't lose us the game. We know that if we've been honest with ourselves, it's okay to say we were beaten by an amazing Indian team. It could yeah. have looked a lot worse than it did after they posted 400. Good on the boys for a performance typical of this Baz Kane era, competitive and brave. This Indian side is one of the greats, no doubt, Kempe. Yeah, oh, and battled and battled real hard against the uh, Indian team nine. Nine on the trot, ten against the Black Caps last night. You know, I think you can be proud about that. That's what I was talking to Ronnie about. Um, whether you could take the benefits out of that, even though you didn't get through to the final. Hey, Rick, just on that question, uh, just on that contract, one point six million dollars. Yeah, is that money? Um, are we seeing through the United States now the soccer uh, systems and that? Are we seeing the? Um, the, the NFL high school model being introduced to soccer? Yes, yeah, it has been for a while. Um, that, that, that's that been there. So there's a lot of Kiwis have actually gone that route, have picked up scholarships and played football at US colleges and then gone on to other things. And one of those, probably the biggest uh, name of those is, is Ryan Nelson. Uh, so he went to the States on a scholarship, went and played college uh, uh, soccer, if you like, uh, over there, then got picked up in the MLS draft uh, by DC United, won the MLS with DC United, and from there got picked up by Blackburn Rovers. So, yeah, that mm. that system is in place there, and it certainly helped more, I think, on the women's side of the game for New Zealand in terms of uh, where, where we have more players playing. But there are still players coming through that system uh, from a New Zealand point of view on the men's side as well that are, that are playing. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, something that uh, we are seeing. seeing. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a great system that the U.S. have got. And, um, you know, once again, not just for football, but for also things like basketball, it, uh, it, you know, the scholarships and things just gives you so many more options uh, as a youngster coming through with sports to play in New Zealand. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking like if your if your coach is getting 1.6 million dollars to to coach in a in a, a league, um, 
what what does that actually mean for for that high school pathway when they're coming out? Does that you know if the coach is getting one point six million, it may, must mean it's now a dead set career for a woman to play uh, football through the states. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, it, it's definitely. I mean, the, one of the the US women's team have been one of the biggest advocates for um, for getting paid uh, pay equity. So uh, uh, they, they've been battling that for a long time. In fact, a few of the big names actually quit the game over that, and that's something they've been battling with the uh, the US team for a long time. Because that, you know, as they pointed it out. Um, and this isn't just from TV money or, or sponsorship money, but also from FIFA. The US women's team have been, up until this last World Cup, been the, the most dominant team in world football, really, in terms of how often they win. They're number one in the world for a long, long period of time. Uh, yet the US men's team, who struggled to get out of their groups at World Cups, were getting paid more than them. So that was a, that's been a big part of the battle, and that is starting to get equalised now, particularly in the US. Yeah, that's... that's... An interesting uh, space in it when you're talking about uh, women in professional sport. That that there, um, that's all. Well, that's always like, well, now any any woman that wants to get into to coaching, and of course, if the coaches are getting paid 1.6 million dollars, it means the players are getting this dead set whack too these days. So, um, yeah, mate, that's good news. Good news for for football. Football again, like just taking off, leading the way. Leading the way indeed. It is 18 away from 8 o'clock here on SENZ. Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Keep your texts rolling through double eight double three, or call us on 0800 150 811. Nine days got the right tools to rub out of a coffee from just $4.50. So make sure you grab one today. Dean has texted through saying Sami, seven for 57, Bolt, none for 70, says it all. And Southie, three for 10, too expensive. One World Cup, too many, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, that's one way of looking at it, Dean. Thanks very much for your text. Uh, John has called through on 0800 150 Morena, John, how are you, brother? Oh, Morena, Morena. Um, guys, hey, a bit disappointed. We've had a bit of a ratchet time with World Cups this year, our national teams. Um, but yeah, you know, full credit to India. They deserve to win, even though the pitch was changed, you know. It's pretty hard to score 398 runs. And that that makes me think, uh, you know, when the Black Caps lost to Pakistan, they scored 400. I still think they would have won, even though they lost that, the Duckworth-Lewis. Um, because I, I haven't, I think only one team has ever chase down 400 in the history of um, ODI cricket. But anyways, full credit to India and Virat Kohli. What a specimen, mate. 50 centuries. Overtakes the great Tendulkar. Uh, I remember 2002, I saw Tendulkar walk out at Westpac Stadium in Wellington. And the Indians just treated him like a god, mate. They, it was like they saw Jesus Christ himself. Um, that's how much they revered the man. And so for Virat Kohli to overtake him, it's, it's huge. I mean, Virat Kohli's one of the biggest sports stars in the world. He's up there with LeBron James, you know? Yeah, 100%, mate. And, and you know, it, it kind of added to the theatre, didn't it, that Sachin Tendulkar was there to see his record get broken? Yeah, and David Beckham, I saw he was there too. But um, just full credit to our boys, eh? They stuck at it. Ah, and... I guess we're going to watch... Uh, well, if that game goes ahead tonight, it'll probably be Australia, mate, because they know how to get it done. And then you're going to have to talk to the boys over there on SEN Australia or Sydney or whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, just disappointed, mate, really disappointed. It's probably the end of the road. 
for about half the team, I reckon, because they would probably went to see 20, 27. And we're probably going to see a changing of the guard. And I think Williamson probably won't be captain at the next ODI World Cup. There you go. Yeah, well, I mean, he's not captain at this one. Uh, Tom Latham is, isn't he? So, um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you, hear what you're saying, because I think him, Tim Southey, Trent Bolt, there's a few of them that won't be at the next one, mate. But that's if there is a next one, because uh, there has been a bit of talk about there won't be any more ODI World Cups after this one. Well, I think there is a next one, but the one after that, not sure, because I think they're adding four more teams. So maybe the next one will be the last. And we'll just have to see about that. But, you know, we move on to the World Chess Championship. And they're over in Bangladesh next week. So it just keeps on rolling, mate. It does. It does. Actually, uh, waiting on that. Robbie, have you seen if they've called it a replacement for Matt Henry yet? Because I know Matt Henry's actually come back to New Zealand with that hamstring injury. And he's supposed to be in that test squad. No, I haven't heard anything yet. Mm, interesting. Interesting. All right. We'll uh, keep an eye on that one. Hey, John, thanks very much for your call, buddy. Cheers. Thank you. you Cheers. Know, you can cook. You can call us anytime, 0800 or keep your text rolling through, double eight double three. Kempe. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly, I think, an end of an era at, at 50 over cricket, at least for, for New Zealand, isn't it? Well, just, you know, look, put it into context, and, and I remember we've had a number of conversations about cricket on the station. Um, we don't get enough test cricket, we don't, you know, uh, have the the money of the Indias and the Australians and and so on. Yet we produce this little cricket team in world uh, world championships that go out there and even in, in, as a top four side, as Ronnie was saying uh, just before in the interview, uh, again just batting above its weight. It's a, it, it may be the changing of the guard, um, but I, look. I'm really proud of the the black caps and where they've, where they've actually got to with the if you're talking about resources you'd have to say in cricket terms the limited resources that they get uh, and they just continually go out there and compete so you know in the context of I get it um, when people are talking about India and the and the movie star lifestyles you know there's a there's a social going around with David Beckham being up there at the moment with Sachin Tendulkar um, Tendulkar talking talking through it and commentating and you know, it is superstar status in India. We don't have a David Beckham in New Zealand. Like, you tell me the, the close, you know, closest guy is probably, what, Stephen Adams? Well, is probably yeah, our, I was, was going to say equivalent. Dan Carter, actually. Dan Carter or, or Sonny Bill. Or, well, yeah. Look, you know, if, if that's our David Beckham uh, <laughs> in, in New Zealand, again, that puts the context in place, doesn't it, as far as what we are doing on this um, stage compared to other countries when football can roll out of David Beckham and, and uh, you've got a Sachin Tendulkar and a, um, and a, a Muhammad Shami-type, Kohli-type players up in India who, who are playing um, to, the, to the drums of two billion people, mm-hmm. you know. So when you, when you go to World Cups and you, you can compete like that, you can knock out, you know, out of, out of all of those teams a, a number of them that should be... Well, England's a prime example, you know. All the money in the world can't buy you a championship. No, no. it would be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, Matthew Mott, a few questions to answer. It would seem uh, the Aussie coach that they've got uh, running the white ball program for England. We are eight away from eight. Keep your text rolling through. Double eight, double three, or 0800 150 811.
Yeah, a couple of minutes away from 8 o'clock and uh, you can brew yourself up uh, or grab yourself, I should say, a hell of a coffee uh, from Night and Day for just $4.50. They've got all the right tools to brew up a hell of a coffee for you. Coming up shortly, we're going to catch up with Clayton Lewis from the All Whites. Uh, they're in Greece getting ready to take on uh, the Greek team on Saturday morning New Zealand time. Then they go to Ireland and take on the Republic of Ireland as well. So we'll catch up with him shortly. Hoping to catch up as well with a black cap out on of um, Mumbai as uh, they get ready to leave the stadium. And on that, we've got a text here. Uh, hey, guys, if Sachin Tendulkar was great, what is Virat Kohli? He overtook Sachin's record with about 170 games less played. I know who I'd pick out of the two in my team. Mm. Yeah, fair question. Uh, fair question too, Barry, there. Uh, I, I guess, you know, that sort of comes once your career is towards the back end and you finish your career up and every, all, the, all the numbers are stacked up. And you're, and you're dead right. You know, um, Coley's looking like probably overtaking him, but, you know, by how far? You, you always think that you've always seen the best, don't you? It's like that in the racing game. You always think you've seen the best and then another horse comes along and it absolutely tells up the record. So the record books at the end of your career tell you how great you are. And I think with the way that Virat Coley's been been playing, um, mate, there's still a lot more water to go under his bridge before we start to uh, actually say how great he is. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. He's 35, Virat Coley, so it'll be interesting to see how much longer he plays for and what he does, because you see guys at this time of their career kind of go, OK, I've, I've made the money. I mean, he's worth something like about 126 million US a year or something like that, uh, with all his endorsements and stuff. So I've made the money. Do I just concentrate on my test career now and, and, and play the pure side of the game, or do I continue to chase the white ball cash? Be interesting to see what Virat Kohli does. Clayton Lewis, a black cap, Paul Mawadi, all coming your way in the next hour here. Here is Araha with the latest in news for Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. It's three past eight on SENZ as Ian Kempe for breakfast. Good morning, Aotearoa. Welcome into the show. If you're just joining us, plenty to come this hour. Hoping to have a black cap out of Mumbai as they get ready to head back to the hotel after that disappointing semi-final loss. Paul Mawadi from the TAB and Josh Brody as well. Former cricketer who's hung up the bat and is now doing Ironmans for charity. We will talk to him before 9 o'clock. Another Ironman of sorts is Clayton Lewis. Uh, He is the engine room for whichever team he plays for. He's part of the Black uh, Black Caps, the All Whites uh, set up, I should say, that are in Greece at the moment, getting ready to play the Greeks Saturday morning at New Zealand time. Morning, Clayton. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How how is Greece this time of the year? And uh, you're a bit disappointed your old teammate Costa isn't along as a uh, as a translator for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it's actually pretty nice here. Um, you know, it's better than I expected. It's what mid mid twenties, I think today was. So no, it's it's pretty nice. And yeah, Costa. I mean, you know, we're pretty close, and it would have been nice to have him here. Um, but hopefully next time uh, we can do some sort of holiday here. That'll be nice. Yeah, that would be good, mate. That would be good. Uh, no holiday, of course. The Greeks are, are going all right at the moment, mate, and uh, they're trying to qualify for the European champs. Uh, recently, uh, they have uh, taken a couple of losses to the Dutch, who, who are no mugs, but they have beaten the Republic of Ireland, uh, who you also play. What have you made of this Greek side? What, how much have you seen of them? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've seen a couple of 
like clips of you know that Dutch game and you know I think at times they were a bit unfortunate not to get something from those games so um, it's going to be a tough game and you know there depends on kind of who who they come out with as well I think you know they got a massive game against France um, you know a couple of days after us so to, it'll be interesting to see how they come out but it's a perfect opportunity now for us to you know play against opposition like Greece and you know hopefully get results as well so it's a big uh, big game for us as well. Hey, Clayton, Darren, Darren Beasley's um, firmly got his feet under the table now. How's he going, mate, as a coach? Are you guys uh, enjoying your time with him? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, me personally, I've worked with, um, you know, Bays since under 17 level, so we've got a pretty good uh, relationship. But I think, um, you know, the way he wants to play and um, style of play on um, in and out of position, I think is something that, you know, all the boys have bought into and it's uh, something that hopefully we can showcase uh, this next game and for the you know, foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been pretty seamless, uh, the transition between the way Danny wanted you guys to play and the way Baze has got you playing. Yeah, but it's, it's been pretty easy. I think, you know, a lot of the stuff that Baze has now brought in is a lot of, you know, player-led stuff. So um, it, it's nice to you know, be able to show our, show our leadership. I think, you know, even the young boys are stepping up and, and saying things as well. So it's it's good that we have, you know, everyone on board and everyone, you know, steering in the same direction. And it's uh, it's good to see, um, you know, so many young players now coming through and uh, making me feel older. So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's not too good on that part, but it's uh, good to see the talent that we have coming through. Yeah, well, I look at the guys around you in the midfield, Joe Bell, Matt Garbutt, Callum McCowart, Marco Stamenik, uh, Sapreet Singh. You are the, I guess, the uh, the veteran, shall we say, or the older statesman of the midfield. Uh, Clayton, how do you see your role within the team and within that midfield unit? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, they're, they're all playing at good levels now, so it's, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, hard for me to get in the team, but it's something that, you know, I enjoy doing. I love having that competition there, and, you know, whether I be on the park or off, off it, or on the bench or, or whatnot, I'm there to, you know, help the boys in whatever way I can. Um, you know, the young boys, if they ever need advice, I think they know that they can come to me about anything. Um, and, you know, ho- hopefully that we can build a, a nice partnership in the, in the middle of the park and hopefully, um, you know, create so many more chances going forward as well. You're talking about the younger blokes, Clayton. I know the under-17s are, I think they're up against Germany at the moment, aren't they? What's it like, um, New Zealand soccer, as far as the progression pathways through into the into the all-whites? Are we in a really good space? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, you can only see in the last, you know, couple of years the, the likes of, you know, the young boys coming through, Marco, um, Sarpreet, Joe Brow, I think, you know, they're, they they have a couple chances with the All Whites and they they get uh, some big moves as well. So it's so good to see and um, you know now the under seventeen boys. Uh, I think they lost three one today against Germany. Um, but you know those boys are on the world stage now. So hopefully they can you know keep pushing forward and you know get get moves as well because it's only going to be good for New Zealand football. Now the last couple of seasons under Ufuk Tele at the at the Phoenix, you, you played a deeper role than what traditionally you would play, almost like a. Uh, I guess quarterback uh, six next to a kind of more defensive six. Uh, what about uh, now you're at Macarthur and also uh, with this all white team? What's your role there? Are you more deep lying again, or are you able to get further forward and play more as a as an eight or a ten? Yeah, I think you know at Macarthur I have a little bit more freedom. Um, you know, 
if, if I go, I know the other six, um, you know, will stay. But um, either way, I'm happy. I like getting on the ball as much as possible and trying to, you know, dictate play as much as I can. Um, and I think, you know, at the moment with MacArthur, we're, we have a good team bond um, going and hopefully we can keep this you know, little unbeaten run we have um, going in the league and we can continue pushing forward. And, you know, as for the All-Whites, I think, you know, I'm, I'm happy to play either role. Um, you know, I like getting forward, but, you know, as of late, it's, it's been quite nice to be able to kind of, you know, give it to the more flary players and let them uh, showcase their skills. And, you know, I'm happy to do all the dirty work behind them. Yeah, yeah, all right. Well, that, that's that, that's good to hear, mate. I mean, we got we do have a pretty young team. I was looking at it. And I think Tim Payne, Tommy Smith, uh, and probably Chris Wood are the only oldest older players uh, than you in the squad. In terms of that leadership, how have you taken to that? And what do you think it is that you can offer those younger players that you got around you? Yeah, I think it's you know it's it's been good being a part of this group. I think. Um, you know, my twenty, well, my second twenties that we had in Korea, a lot of these boys were were there, and you know, I was fortunate enough to captain that side, and so I've got quite a good, you know, relationship with those boys. So I think, you know, they all know that if there's ever anything that they need, that I'm always there for them. And I think just, you know, being able to, you know, if I, if I am on the park or not, I think, um, you know, trying to help them as much as I can, um, you know for the better of the team i think it's it's something that i've you know grown to to like and i think uh you know if there's any way i can help in that situation then um you know i'm happy to do so now you got the greeks as i mentioned you got republic of ireland as well how much in these camps are you doing looking at the opposition you're going to play or is it really just all about what you guys want to achieve and how you guys play yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think, you know, at the moment we've just been focused on Greece. We haven't looked at Ireland um, as of yet. Um, but, you know, a lot of it is based on us, where we know how, you know, Greece want to press and where they think they can hurt us. So it's about trying to combat that. And then, um, you know, when they're, when they're on the ball, we're, we've found some, you know, weaknesses that hopefully we can exploit and then, um, you know, hopefully transition into attack as quick as possible because they like to push numbers quite high. So I think it's uh, definitely a good opportunity for us to, to break as quick as we can and hopefully create some chances from there. And uh, Clayton, got to ask as well because I, I just got an invite uh, yesterday to the launch uh, of the Auckland A-League franchise. Uh, Bill Foley, uh, who owns Bournemouth, uh, is behind that, mate. Um how big for New Zealand football is it going to be to have two A-League franchises in New Zealand? Yeah, I think it's huge. You know, you've got you know, so many young kids now coming through wanting to be footballers and, you know, having only one professional team, it's tough. So now that there's opportunity for two and um, I think it's going to, you know, bring a lot lot more, hopefully, uh, fans out to watch games. And I think, you know, having a rivalry between Auckland and Wellington will be will be huge. So hopefully they can sort some little trophy or something to, to get their rivalry going. But, you know, it would be nice to, you know, have, have another team and, you know, I can come home every now and again to play a game or two. So uh, it, it's exciting and, you know, hopefully it's a big success. Yeah, you'd you be, be tempted to come home and play for, for an Auckland-based team, mate? Oh, look, you know, I'll, I'll finish my uh, two seasons at MacArthur and see what pops <laughs> up. But, uh, no, nah, I'm enjoying my time at MacArthur at the moment, so... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but hopefully, you know, I can continue doing what I'm doing and yeah, yeah, we'll see. 
you what, Clayton, your contracts aren't like NRL contracts. You just can't walk out on them. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, I actually like being where I am, so uh, it's, it's it's all good. And you know, Sydney life, I uh, can't really beat it at the moment, so it's pretty good. Yeah, mate, what, mate. What, do you, what do you guys do for your downtime? You know, like you've got these big games coming up. Um, obviously, Greece and, and Ireland and Dublin, um, pretty pretty cool spots to be playing. Um, the game that you love, but what, what's your what's your downtime look like? Do you guys just hang out at the hotel, or do you go and play golf, go sightseeing? What's up? Yeah, I mean, look, we're we're staying pretty much on the on the beach in Athens here, so it's actually very nice. So I think um, you know a lot of us on the afternoons where we go out and you know get a coffee and just kind of chill around by the beach, so it's actually pretty relaxing. Um, still a little bit jet lagged at the moment, but. Um, yeah, just hoping to get over that ASAP. And, yeah, but, look, I think a lot of the boys are just happy to be around each other again. I think, you know, being at, you know, foreign clubs, it's it's always nice to come back and, you know, be with other Kiwis and, you know, have that connection again. So it's, uh, it's cool to kind of catch up on those things, tell stories about, you know, the clubs or back in the day when you used to play with each other. So it's, uh, it's exciting to be back and it's, you know, definitely an honour to come back here. Does Clayne, with the with the you know I've always wanted this about the the all whites like do you guys have a cultural advisor in the all whites about um, who 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 the the all whites represent and in that that uh, the stuff like what the all black the all blacks obviously with their huckers and the kiwis and all that mm-hmm. that sort of stuff do you guys do that as well? Yeah, we have our own sort of you know cultural. Uh, event that we always do before every tour um it's something that's kind of sacred to us so i don't want to get into too many details but it's something that we do do that danny um brought in um when he first came in so it's something we've we've kept in uh something that you know all the players have bought into so it's so good to see that you know everyone's behind that and uh you know willing to to sacrifice so much when they come here and you know that that cultural thing that we do do is uh something that we all look forward to every time we come in and you now we really feel that connection with each other. You still got Rory kicking around the camp with his guitar, mate? <laughs> I wish. He's not on this trip, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that guy. And, you know, if he, if he can come back with his guitar and, you know, maybe not a singing voice, but the guitar, <laughs> then, uh, you know, we're happy. <laughs> well, what, what about your singing voice, mate? I know that you had to have it your turn, part of the initiation. Uh, what's, your, what's your go-to song when Rory's got the guitar out or you're at the old karaoke? Oh, to be fair, my voice ain't the greatest, but, um, you know, my most recent initiation at MacArthur, I sang uh, Sweet Caroline, um, and that, that seemed to pop off, so I, I think I did a pretty good job there, so probably Sweet Caroline for sure. <laughs> yeah, mate, stick to the classics. <laughs> stick to the classics, nice and easy. Yeah. Hey, Clayton, thanks very much for coming on today, brother. We'll let you go. Uh, no, All the best, on, on On towards uh, sort of 9 o'clock there over in Greece, mate. Best of luck for the weekend, eh, and uh, enjoy that tour. Perfect. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you. There you go. Clayton Lewis there with us. Uh, part of the All Whites camp. They play Saturday morning New Zealand time against the Greeks. Uh, that one you can catch, I think, on FIFA Plus. So make sure you go and support the boys and check that out. Uh, we can you know, juggle things around while we're waiting for a black cap out of Mumbai. So uh, we'll take a break now. When we come back, Paul Mawadi is going to join us a little bit earlier. Need a new mobile plan? Visit Kogan Mobile. You're listening to Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Thanks to Chemist Warehouse, keeping you healthy this spring. 
It is 8.21. Check out the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz to bet safely R18. Paul Mawadi joins us. Uh, probably not on the old flat white this morning. Might be on the old instant coffee after uh, the TAB took a bath this morning on India getting up in the World Cup. Good morning, Paulie. <laughs> G'day, Ricardo. Yeah, that's right. Um, those punters, and there were plenty of them, and there are a number of big ones who uh, all decided that uh, the Indians looked a wee bit of value at around $1.33, $1.30, and, uh, and they won the toss as well, which was critical uh, in that semi-final overnight. Uh, and they sort of cruised there in the end, to be fair. Um, I guess with the Black Caps at around, well, I think, 205 for two, um, with about 20 overs to go, you thought maybe they're a wee bit of a chance here, but um, it looked like the pitch was getting a wee bit slower um, and it was going to get tougher for uh, the Black Caps uh, batsmen. Um, and in the end, it proved right. So, yeah, well done to those punters. I just want to know, it better be a bloody good Black Cap that I've been bounced for. <laughs> well, we haven't been told who we got yet, mate, but I'll tell you what, uh, uh, I'm just happy to get anybody out of Mumbai after that, to be fair. The guy that carries the bags around, mate. You know, he cleans the boots and all that. He's he's got he's got you today. A dollar thirty. A dollar thirty is good money uh, for India, considering Paulie. You guys are very generous on that. Um, so well done to all the punters for taking a bit of it back because you get you got plenty back off Rickard and yesterday, mate. There were some upsets. Uh, Robbie Patterson getting the Copelands, and of course, Fashion Shoot, what a run yesterday at tens and threes. Um, and again, another couple of big divvies as well. It's pretty hard, it's pretty hard to pick them at the moment down in Christchurch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and as you say, um, I guess we probably ha- should have had a, a better look at Robbie Patterson because I think Puntura was his only runner yesterday um, at Rickerton. So. I think closed around $15 fixed uh, with the boys um, and didn't have a lot of admirers, to be fair. Um, Marley Stone was the big, big, um, I guess, mover in terms of uh, an outsider. Uh, Marley Stone very well backed, uh, as was Kopua. Um, and, of course, the favourite, it's business time, who um, uh, ran a very, very brave second, um, was the best backed in the race. But, yeah, not a lot of... A support for Pantura uh, in the um, Copeland's Mile. So, yep, uh, we move on. Of course, today or tonight, it's um, the Greyhounds New Zealand Cup Day, the Group 1 2023 Springston Hotel New Zealand Cup for the Doggies. And we've got a very, very hot favourite there, Federal Infrared uh, out of the Lisa Cole Kennel. Currently a dollar seventy after opening up at a dollar eighty in that final field win market, so the money is on. Um, she has been very, very well backed. She's in the squeeze box, so um, as long as she avoids trouble, she should be just a wee bit too good for these. Outside of Federal Infrared, there's been a little bit of speaking about number two Diamond Alex, eighteen dollars. Uh, Got into 15, uh, just out to 16 now, but uh, absolutely stormed home uh, in his heat win. So uh, I guess some punters following Diamond Alex and hoping he can sort of uh, repeat uh, the sort of speed that he showed in that heat uh, to get into uh, the New Zealand Cup, which will start at around 7.47 tonight at Addington. Well, there's lots still happening down there this week as well. The dogs today, and then, of course, you've got the big day on Saturday. Paul, have you taken any early money 
um, in the big race down there on Saturday yet? Yeah, look, I, I've just, um, I just wanted to let punters know that uh, we've also got a bonus back promotion on the first four races at the Addington Dogs um, today. That's for second and third. Uh, you can get it back to, uh, up to $50. Um, so don't forget, uh, there's an opportunity there to make a wee bit of money beforehand uh, or maybe pick up a bonus bet or two. Um, just having a look at the card for Saturday. Um, where are we? Where's the guineas? I'm just having a look now. Is it race? There we are. Right, favourite Molly Bloom at $4.20. In fact, it looks like the top four in the market all come out of the soliloquy, and it, it, it looks fairly similar, the market, to the soliloquy market that uh, the uh, bookies put up a few weeks ago. Molly Bloom, the favourite at four twenty. There's been money for Luberon, uh, of course, who... Um, had Can trouble down straight. the straight. Yes, yes. So if they can sort that out, um, and uh, the money would suggest that they have sorted it out, $4.50 for Luberon. Uh, Mary Shan is at five fifty. Uh, Impendabelle, 9 Now, the big, uh, the big Southern Hope, or Star of Justice, who has uh, won a couple on the trot down there and has looked very, very good, currently $10, uh, and Star of Justice has been the best-backed um, of those outside the top four. So money for Luberon, um, but money also for Star of Justice at ten dollars. Yeah, and what about the cup what about the cup, Paulie? You've got um some good horses in there as well. The uh Alan Sherrick's got one in there that's paying eights at the moment. This is, I think at fifty three only carrying three fifty three kilos um in the New Zealand Cup is uh mate, it's gotta be a chance, don't you think? Well, I'm just having a look here. I see Waisaki's in there at $7 alongside the uh, Dummy Myers train LJ, the defending champ, Nesteg, uh, who comes off that Metrop win um, and is the favourite at the moment at $3.80. Nesteg's slightly cold with punters uh, uh, right now. Um, Further down the page, there has been money for a couple of $20 shots. Prismatic at $21 um, and Eulogy Show at $26. So... Yeah, I, I guess um, we'll, uh, you'll be able to steer us in the right direction, Kempe, <laughs> in terms of uh, uh, Al Sharoff uh, and his rudder there. Um, so I'll wait to see what happens there. But at the moment, yeah, the favourite, just a wee bit cold with punters, Nesty, $3.80. All right, Paulie, and before we let you go, mate, uh, New Zealand, we're done at the Cricket World Cup, but uh, there's another semi-final tonight at 9.30 with a dependent, uh, South Africa, Australia, where's the money? Um, it's, uh, they're starting with the Australians at the moment, uh, and they have moved, uh, since last night, around a dollar seventy last night, they're now into a dollar sixty-eight. South Africans have drifted out to two dollars and fifteen cents. Um, there's around two times as much turnover in that head-to-head market on the, uh, Australians to make it through to the final, uh, as opposed to the South Africans, although they aren't. Uh, without a bit of support themselves, the South Africans. But yes, at the uh, at this time, Australia have been very well supported by punters. And uh, if the money's anything to go by, then Australia will be facing India in the Cricket World Cup final in a few days' time. Good stuff, Paulie. Appreciate your time, mate, and appreciate you being flexible and coming on a little earlier for us. Uh, go well. Enjoy your day, eh? Very good, boys. Yep. 
All right, check out all the odds, promos and boosted odds on the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz. Bet safely, R18. Here's Araha with news for Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now. 29 away from 9 o'clock here on SENZ. It is Izzy and Kempe for breakfast. Uh, we're going to catch up with Josh Brody before 9 o'clock. Josh, a former Wellington Firebirds player who's hung up the bat and has taken up Ironman, and he is doing it for a good cause too, uh, raising money for asthma in New Zealand. So we'll catch up with Josh before 9 o'clock. Of course, if you just joined us, uh, you don't want to know what happened in the Cricket World Cup semi-final. Well, unfortunately, Unfortunately, a bridge too far for our Black Caps. India, 397 for four. New Zealand, they got to 327 all out with one ball to spare. And uh, unfortunately, just couldn't get it done. Uh, lost it by 70 runs to the host. So joining us uh, to talk about that experience is Luke Ronke, the batting coach for the Black Caps. Uh, morning, Luke. Thanks very much for coming on after what must have been a, an emotionally draining and physically draining day. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's yeah, it has been a a long day, and obviously the, the disappointment of the of the final result. But the guys, the guys put an amazing effort out there and, and sort of gave everything a, a good hard crack. So it's um, something I can look back on and in the I guess future of it all and stuff, and still be proud of the efforts I've been putting in. Luke, there's been a, a couple of you know, conversations that have been had over the last couple of days about the, the 11 for this game, uh, given that we knew it was going to be a bit of a road uh, from a batting point of view. Uh, were there many discussions around that? I know Mark Chapman hadn't played a lot of cricket. Uh, Kyle Jamison is obviously there, gives you like different angles. Uh, Jimmy Neesham, obviously, uh, pretty handy with the bat. Uh, I mean, how many conversations were had around that 11 before you guys named it? Um, yeah, there's always conversations because you sort of you you see a surface a few days out and and that sort of opens up a few discussions and then you sort of see how it's all been going and and also you saw the, the way we've done it for for a long long time that is showing a lot of some continuity in the selection and backing guys and the guys have been doing a fantastic job throughout the World Cup. There's a few there are a few sort of changes in the team with with injuries about and things. So um, there was a, I guess a few chats, but the guys have been doing a good job. So I mean. The, the 11 we picked, we were certainly happy happy with. Was it always a, um, a an issue that you guys had preempted, being the length of the, of the tournament, uh, that injuries may play a part in it? Well, I think leading into it with, with Kane and, and Tim Southey, both, I guess, sort of not being available at the start, we sort of knew that, that that's going to be a, a factor for us. And then there was a few other... Um, little niggles that popped up along the way. I mean, we've sort of gone a long, long time without having sort of major injury setbacks. It was just a bit, I guess, to have it all around the World Cup was um, a bit annoying, but also it's a factor that happens for every team and you have to deal with it. Luke, uh, I mean, Kane, you mentioned had that injury, so he missed the first few games. Um, but we started the tournament really well, won the first four, then uh, then, then lost a few in a row. Um, did... Maybe a little bit of uncertainty around that lineup um, affect anything? Do you think internally? No, no, not at all. I think that's just the the nature of the I guess the teams we were playing at certain stages, and and we did lose four in a row. But a lot of those losses, apart from the South Africa game, were, were close losses. Mm. Uh, we obviously chased really well against the Australians. Uh, India took them to about the forty eighth or forty ninth over to get to our total. So they were always tight games of cricket, so there was n- never any concerns going through the camp at all, that's for sure. What about uh, the toss 
we've, we've had conversations, we had a lot of callers and texters this morning talking about how much was on the toss. I mean, if you guys had won it, you, I'm, I'm guessing you would have batted first. Do you think there is too much advantage <laughs> in winning the toss at ODI level? Um, oh, not always. Uh, it, it did make a, a difference um, today. And obviously that first 10 overs of our, our innings there it sort of obviously goes from the, the daytime. It's just whatever happens, the ball swings and nibbles around a bit more and it makes it that little bit tougher. But we sort of managed to go through it not too badly, sort of um, losing too many wickets. I guess we lost two there, but the guys did a good job to sort of set a platform so that we could sort of kick on and, and hopefully got to get close to that total. Hey, Luke, um, surprises for you on the tour. Uh, Rich and Vindra's uh, nearly getting 600 runs uh, for, the, for the tour. What, um, any, anyone else stand out for you? Um, I think Rich, he was obviously amazing to come into, into the World Cup in a position where he probably thought he wasn't going to play and then uh, had a couple of opportunities early on with, with Kay missing out and he grabbed them and, and he was just phenomenal throughout the whole, the whole competition. I think uh, at different stages, guys have, have stood up. Daryl was obviously fantastic. Uh, Kane as well, when he came in, he made those runs there. And, and from a bowling point of view, Mitchie Satner again, he's, he's world class um, with the way he works on, on different surfaces. And um, the guys all round did some, some fantastic things. He obviously made it to a, to a semi-final. And that was, I guess that's a goal for, for every team is to get to the semi-finals first and then sort of see what happens from there. Uh, Shami had a pretty good uh, d- day with the ball, mate. I mean, if you can win man of the match over Virat Kohli, bringing up his 50th uh, ODI 100, you know you've done something right. Um, just how yeah. difficult was he Was he to play out there? And what was the plan for the batsman against him? Yeah, uh, he's been fantastic. I think he's only played six games and taken 23 wickets. I think he's the leading wicket taker now. And obviously... Took five against us the first time he came in, and took seven again tonight. So he's been he's been brilliant for them. He just he hits a hard length, and and we sort of know the, the uh, I guess the plan that he sort of comes with, the way he wants to go about it. And but I think it's just those questions he's posing at different stages, and and he seems to have come on. He's got that golden arm. Whenever he comes on, he gets a wicket nice and early, and and I think that gives him uh, a heck load of confidence to go about his business. The other, I mean, I mentioned Virat Kohli. He he scored fifty one day internationals now, uh, sorry, fifty one day hundreds uh, uh, now, and he did it. I think at a hundred and seventy games faster uh, than Sachin Tendulkar, whose record he broke. I mean, where does he sit? Do you think in the pantheon when you look back at uh, one day batsmen and cricketers? Um, where does he sit for you? Uh, I, I think he has to be on top to to do mm. it the way he's done it. Uh, I mean. And he still was, yeah, like you said, the, the amount of innings was was phenomenal. I think we're we're counting it today. If you put his his fifties and his hundreds into a thing, it's it's almost it's between forty and fifty percent of the time he gets to fifty in an ODI innings. I mean, that's just that's phenomenal numbers. And and the way he does it, and he's he's always running hard between wickets. He knows how to hit gaps. He puts pressure on opposition bowlers. He does it. He's obviously amazing at chasing, but he also does it really well setting scores. So. Um, to do that the way he has, it's it's just phenomenal. How, how hard was it for the batters to when they go in and um, chasing runs and facing someone like Muhammad Shami, who who had a had a night last night, fifty seven for seven wickets. Um, how tough is it to go in there, given the the weather, the fatigue factor, the length of the tournament? Yeah, I mean that's 
that's uh, I mean it is a factor, but I think the length of the tournament doesn't actually have anything to do with it. The guys were going to rearing to go and, and fully fit, and and I think they, uh, I guess, at certain situations of the game, I think you watch Kane and Daryl. They decided for a good period of time there, they're just going to consolidate and, and get a good little base going for us. And, and they were ticking along really nicely. So it would have been interesting to see how things would go if you, you have a nice big partnership and then you get a couple more after that and, and you sort of get closer to that total. But I think once when Kane got out, we lost a couple of wickets there. They had a couple of tight overs and it makes it just that much harder when you you already need a high run rate. Um, and then it, once it gets up to sort of, 12, 13 and over, it makes it very difficult for new batters to go out there and try and whack it from ball one. So th- th- they had definitely periods of the game where they were on top, but there's also periods where we were on top and you could sort of see that toing and froing between the two teams, which I think is, is fantastic for ODI cricket. Uh, Luke, just before we let you go, mate, of course, uh, your old side Aussie up against the South Africans t- uh, tonight, New Zealand time, <laughs> uh, depending on uh, weather, obviously. Uh, who you got? Um. Right now, as I'm on the phone, I, I'm not too worried about who's playing because we're not playing. Um, <laughs> but they've both been ticking on nicely. And again, I think it's going to be a big thing with the toss there as well. Um, but they're both both sides there seem to be making some, some seriously good runs. Um, so it could be quite an interesting match. Yeah, it should be, mate. Well, listen, we'll let you go get your, get, let you go carb load and rehydrate, eh, mate? I think you deserve one after that. <laughs> All right, perfect. Thank you very much. Cheers. Uh, Luke Rocky there with us, uh, the batting coach out of the Black Caps. We are 19 away from nine. When we come back, we are going to be talking with Josh Brody about Iron Man. Caring for our communities, out of the gym and off the park, working just as hard paying it forward to our next generation. This is More Than an Athlete with Izzy and Kempe. Brought to you by Tremaine Real Estate, bringing people and property together in our communities. It's 14 away from nine. Uh, joining us now is a man who once scored a double ton for Wellington in the Plunkett Shield, but he's hung up the bat and he is taken to triathlons. Uh, Josh Brody joins us. Good morning, Josh. How are you? Yeah, good morning. How are we? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. I know you're, you're probably still recovering fresh back from a half Ironman over in Melbourne at the weekend. How did you go? And uh, tell us about why you did it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Thank you. The the rig's still uh, pretty sore. Got back on uh, yesterday, Monday. Um, so basically, I am after I'm basically training for March second, where I'm going to compete in the Ironman New Zealand, which is a uh, a 3.8 k swim, 180 k bike into a marathon run, 42 k run, uh, all in the hope to uh, to raise fifty thousand dollars for the Asthma and Respiratory Foundation New Zealand. Uh, yeah, ta- asthma is, uh, oh, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, uh, Josh, take us through that because you had a bit of a journey yourself, haven't you, with the with the asthma? Yeah, absolutely. So, like someone who uh, struggled severely with asthma growing up, um, but always wanted to, to play professional sport and particular professional cricket. But um, yeah, in and out of hospital, A and E, all the way up till probably. 15, 16, uh, doctors tell me I can't do this and I can't do that and my lungs aren't good enough and, you know, I step back after step back with asthma um, but always, I guess, internally driven to go after my dreams of what I wanted to achieve. So um, I guess a little growth spurt at 15, 16, um, yeah, long story short, kind of ended up playing professional sport. Uh, still 
very minor, but still have asthma to this day. Um, but now, now they've kind of got through and achieved, you know, some some goals that I wanted to achieve. So I want to try and give back to the foundation if I can um, raise uh, raise 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 some funds uh, for for the foundation and kind of the bigger picture is to show kids in, in New Zealand that they too can, um, you know, whether asthma or another any you know, any sort of medical issue, they can still go after their goals and achieve what they want to achieve. I can inspire you know, a couple of kids and raise some money to help them, uh, then, you know, I'm happy to put myself through some pain. I was going to say, Josh, how did you go from cricket to Iron Man? Because, you know, there's, uh, <laughs> over the years, been a few cricketers who aren't the most athletic-looking blokes. Uh, so yeah. uh, from one to the other, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's some swing. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me, I always enjoyed the training aspect of sport more than, you know, the like the discipline and you train and you train for a certain goal. Um, and then sort of once cricket sort of finished up, I just started getting to, and oh, I, I kept training. I love the, the training side of it. So I just started getting to um, uh, endurance sports. I started, uh, you know, with a half marathon, then it moved into a marathon, then it moved to an ultra marathon, uh, then a small triathlon, then an Ironman. So it just, it just keeps going. I think I've got that, that, Probably yeah, that that trait where I just keep looking for the next thing, the big the next the biggest thing. What can I do more after I achieve something? Um, so now yeah, let's let's take on the full Ironman. Why not? Hey, so Josh, how do how do we get um, get behind you? How do we support you on on your uh, on your journey to try and raise this fifty thousand dollars? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. So uh, you can first of all you can follow me on Instagram. It's Josh Brody B R O D I E. Uh, which has uh, uploaded um, information about asthma, the foundation, training videos as I lead up to um, the event on March 2nd. Uh, and then also uh, my campaign webpage, which is uh, joshversasthma.co.nz, where you can have, uh, again, all information, where you can donate and kind of help out. So you did the half Ironman at, uh, in Melbourne. You got the half Ironman in Topor as well before the full Ironman. Uh, that's a lot of miles you've got to do on the bike and on the road and, and in the water as well, mate. I mean, uh, what gets you through? you got the AirPods on. Is it, is it podcasts? Is it music? What's, uh, what, what's that keeping your brain engaged and driving you through it? Yeah, 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 yep. Yeah. So we've got to, uh, I'm doing just finished Melbourne half Ironman. I've got the Taupo half Ironman December 9th, about four weeks away. Uh, and then the big one on March 2nd. But, yeah, for training, training you're looking at probably at the moment about 15, 16 hours a week, uh, usually consisting of about four swims, four bikes, four runs, and a couple of uh, strength sessions per week. Um, and then kind of leading into the big one on March 2nd, it'll move up to about 20-plus hours per week of training. So, yeah, lots of training, lots of miles. Uh, yeah, podcasts w- with the runs, um, but during the events you can't, have uh, any earpods, any music going? So you got to um, it's all solo. So it's just uh, so I kind of train like that as well. So I'm kind of used to it on the day when it's going to when it's going to hurt. Yeah, trying to replicate what you're going to get on the day. I, yeah. I that, that 100% makes sense. And lots of just, pain. I'm I'm <laughs> suggesting <laughs> lots of pain. Yeah, lots, uh, yeah, lots of pain. Yeah. Yeah, Josh. <laughs> I mean, I, I've I've talked to um, lots of triathletes and 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 guys that have competed in Ironman before and. It always seems to be there's two that you're good at and one that you struggle at. So, so what's the one that you really need to do the most work in? I think swim and bike. I think run with you know I've done quite a few marathons and ultra marathons now. The run 
um, you know, I can kind of grind that out, guts it out. I think it's the, uh, yeah, the bikes get in there and then it's the swim. And it's just that, um, at the moment, about four or five swims a week, uh, all mostly about two to three K each session. Um, but it's just the swim and it's just time in the water. And then I think more closer to the day is, you know, time in the lake, time in open water swimming where you get used to, to the, uh, well, one, to the conditions and the waves, but also having, you know, a thousand people around you as well, which is quite confronting as well. Yeah, lots of chop, lots of chop. Well, Josh, we wish yep, you all the best, mate. Uh, the Asthma and Respiratory Foundation New Zealand, $50,000 is the key. If you want to support Josh, you can follow him on uh, Instagram as well, or you can uh, go and visit him at Asthma. .co.nz. That is Josh vs Asthma.co.nz. Josh Brody, appreciate your time, my friend. Keep up the good work, doing things for a great cause, and best of luck with Iron Man Topo. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, anytime, Cheers, mate. Josh. Anytime. Best of luck with it. We are seven away from nine o'clock. Nearly nine o'clock here on Izzy and Kempi for breakfast on ECNZ. Uh, just about us done, but uh, because Daniel McCartney has been pulling uh, the long shift overnight, calling the cricket, uh, Stephen McIver is in the hot seat between nine and midday today. Good morning, Stephen. Morning, lads. How are we? Good, thank you, sir. What have you got uh, lined up for the show today? Rod Latham, not too far away to discuss what happened overnight at Wankati Stadium in the semi-final of the World Cup. Going to talk some motorsport. Funny that. Start of the Super Sprint season in Taupo this weekend, so I'm going to talk to Toyota 86 driver Justin Allen. And also, uh, there's a whole heap of uh, college American college water polo coaches coming out in December to start scouting. It's a big deal water polo in college America, and it's also a professional sport in Europe, so we're going to talk about that. Plus, uh, reaction from the uh, Deontay Wilder-Joseph Parker press conference in Saudi Arabia this morning. There's a lot to talk about. Mate, that sounds like you've got an absolute <laughs> chocker show. Go well. Have a great one, Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Look after yourself. And we'll you be back again tomorrow morning from 6 o'clock. This is Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Here is Araha with news for Kubota. Kubota's in-stock catalogue is out now.